0: back to another episode of our interesting times. It's my pleasure to have back on the show Dr. E. Michael Jones. Of course Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine, a prolific writer, historian. of course he's the author of uh, Logos Rising: A History of Ultimate reality and many other books. Of course he's also the author of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and its impact on world history. Uh, he, it, that just came out this year in its second edition in three volumes. I am currently reading a third volume, and I came across an interesting chapter, chapter eight, entitled Jewish Nazis. (laughs) So uh, it's a provocative title, Um, Jewish Nazis. Now, this is a contradiction in term, isn't it?
1: No, well, that's the whole point of it, is it, or is it? Uh, Because uh, that article is, among other things, a review of a movie called The Believer. And The Believer, is made, uh, directed by a Jew, Uh, who was fascinated by the the story of a a guy, a Jew who became a Nazi, a member of the American Nazi Party and uh, uh, was, you know, working with the Nazi Party uh, and then was exposed and he ended up committing suicide. So is is it uh, that we, we, uh, Chesterton, uh, I believe was Chesterton, said that there were, uh, he saw Nazism as a kind of Jewish phenomenon. Uh, it was uh, the Jewish idea turned upside down. In other words, they still believed in it, that there was a a chosen people, except that now it was the Germans who were the chosen people. They were racially superior in the way that the Jews claimed before that they were racially superior. So Nazism was in many ways just a mirror image of what uh, uh, what, what I say, the Jew Zionism, uh, or uh, Jew, I, i'm not saying I, I don't want to refer to judaism because that implies it's a religion uh the, the jewish idea of racial superiority nazism was simply the flip side of that coin
0: interesting yeah i mean there is some i mean i i have uh, run across some of my research uh you know world war ii and the third reich and uh, Reinhard Heydrich. the um i guess the uh the uh Guy who ran Bohemia and <laughs> Moravia, the uh, protectorate, he was assassinated there in 1942, but he had some, I guess, some nice things to say about Zionist. And you can look at the Third Reich and Zionism as sharing a certain objective that would have been sort of to uh, getting the Jews out of Germany. But it goes, I guess, in your article, I suggest as, I guess, as a, a deeper psychological or philosophical, I guess, um, linkage between the two ideologies
1: racial superiority mm-hmm. just, just comes down to who's racially superior the zionists also collaborated with the nazis because they wanted they both uh, wanted to uh, remove jews from europe mm-hmm. they, they had that common goal in mind and uh, theodore herzl you, obviously he's before uh, the rise of the nazis but he he was would go around to princes in europe uh, before world war one and say you know we have the same goal you want to get you want to make a Europe Judenrein we do too send them all to Israel and that uh, continued even after the founding of the state of Israel with things like the Levon affair where basically the uh, the the Jews uh, the Israelis uh, killed Jews uh, uh, a kind of false flag terrorist operation in Egypt where they blew up a synagogue to spread terror among the Jews so that they panic and and move to Israel So, uh, you know, there are lots of similarities, lots of similarities. What about terrorism? Uh, The Jews invented uh, terrorism as a term uh, when the Irgun and the Stern gang would go into uh, villages like Deir Yassin and exterminate the people. this This is all the type of stuff that you see in movies about Nazis. How many times have we seen that picture of the You know, the car showing up or the truck showing up and the look of fear on the people's faces. And they're all going to be deported. Well, this is what the Israelis were doing to the Palestinians uh, after the war. There's all kinds of uh, similarities here that uh, it's not not, not conducive to your uh, popularity among the uh, oligarchs uh, to bring this type of stuff up. But it's there nonetheless.
0: No, it's not something you bring up at uh, cocktail parties or barbecues. No. It's not polite. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, yeah, I mean, you, you, look, you look at like Jewish terrorism—something you don't. I mean, you, you can read a lot about it, but it's portrayed in Hollywood, and or if it does, it's 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 justified. It's it's it's, it's self-defense, and they're, they're they're always practicing self-defense. They're the ones being yeah. attacked. Yeah,
1: pro proactive self-defense. so so there's a a a recent movie came out i I, I kept trying to see it but apparently hasn't been released but it's it's been filmed and it's called plan a and it's about it's an israeli movie about how after the war a group of jews got together and decided to poison the water supply in germany and kill germans indiscriminately well and 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 it's portrayed as if this is something noble (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) I, I, can I disagree here? Does that make me a, a a bad person if I don't think that's a noble thing to do? And then we go back to Hunters, which I also reviewed <clears throat> uh, with Al Pacino playing this Jew who's saying it's not murder, it's mitzvah uh, to go out and kill someone you think uh, is a Nazi. Well, usually we have trials for this type of thing, uh, but no, it's OK. If you think he's a Nazi, you have a right to kill him. The Jew has a right to kill anybody. Uh, Well, is it too strong to say that he doesn't like? Well, if you don't like the person and you pin pin the label Nazi on him, then it's okay to kill him. This is a type of uh, barbarism and anarchy that gets spread through our culture in the name of uh, tolerance uh, and in the name, uh, because Jews are doing it. Uh, We also have... um, uh spielberg's movie munich Mm -hmm. uh where he 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 tries to distance himself a little bit from this this is a revenge which is a jewish virtue um against the uh palestinians for the uh, munich uh, olympic massacres and so in this in this movie uh as i said spielberg tries to distance himself a little bit from it by uh showing uh misgivings you know some of the people start to have misgivings so it's a hit a hit squad and uh, the first thing is they show up on a street in Italy and there's this distinguished professor of philology and they're saying are you are you so and so and he's kind of shaking there because they have guns drawn on him so they hold up a picture next to him and there his hand is shaking everybody's a total train wreck everybody's uh, upset you know and they just shoot the guy well, maybe, maybe it was the wrong picture. Uh, how do you deal with this? And, and uh, Spielberg at the end did try to deal with it because they all kind of go crazy, the hit the, the squad. But, but, but what you see here is that that was the, uh, a first instance. Uh, and after you're softened up by that because of that uh, kind of moral hand-wringing that Spielberg engages in, then you're set up for Hunter's where there's no moral hand-ring at all. It's obvious that these people deserve to die because someone, some Jew thinks he's a Nazi. And that suspicion is enough to be a death warrant. Well, wait a minute, this is horrible. I mean, and and if you object to it, you're an anti-Semite. Well, how far is this going to go? How, how, how far do we have to go descend into barbarism and the absolute contempt that these people hold for the all of the basics uh, of civilization, rule of law, trial by jury, all of these type of things, rules of evidence. How far do we have to go here? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, 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 it's a very troubling phenomenon. And, and uh, Jewish, not, the the book, the the movie, The Believer, uh, was an early attempt uh, to deal with this with this type of stuff. Deal with this whole. Uh, business of Nazism and uh, how it got appropriated, and uh, the, the the kind of strange story of a Jew who was attracted to it.
0: Yeah, and um, of course uh, uh, the uh, that the label Nazi or white supremacist uh, it can be very it can be attached to anyone, applied to anyone who is your, perceived as a political adversary or a problem. And of course, we see that most recently with uh, our esteemed Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, writing a memo uh, saying that his Justice Department, and the FBI, are going to investigate um, parents who have the audacity to show up at school board meetings to voice their opinions about, you know, the uh, the maladministration of the public school system they pay for, and the indoctrination of their kids, and that's perceived yes. again as being white supremacist. Uh, not, not I, don't, I didn't, he didn't use the word Nazi, but again, well, domestic terrorism. It's another, domestic or,
1: terrorist is yeah. the word he used. So now the FBI is going to be on your case. If you show up and disagree with the school board about books that they Mm -hmm. bought and the books in this instance, I saw that video of the lady in in Virginia, the books, uh, this book is uh, a graphic glorification of pedophilia and And a violation
0: of state law, by the way.
1: And I do mean graphic with pictures, pictures of uh, uh, this pedophile sex in the book, plus a text that glorifies this type of thing. So if you object to that, you're a domestic terrorist. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it turns out that the guy who's head of the school board is a Jew and a homosexual. Well, that's two... Uh, wait a minute. That's two reasons he cannot be criticized. That's two reasons he's always right, no matter what he does, even to the point of promoting pedophilia, even to that point, which is what uh, uh, seems to be the last taboo.
0: Yeah, and uh, of course, the uh, I just read today that the uh, Randy Weingarten, uh, she's the head of the uh, the Federation of Teachers, praised the move by the Justice Department. And so we have a Jewish Attorney General being praised by a Jewish uh, head of of a of a teachers union uh, for a school board uh, for a school board <laughs> that's headed by a Jewish homosexual from promoting pedophilia and degeneracy and these things. And so, uh, and then again, another wrinkle in this is that his his daughter, Mary Garland's daughter, is married to. Uh, This guy, Alexander uh, Tanner, who uh, owns this outfit called Panorama Education, which uh, makes millions of dollars a year selling material to critical race theory, uh, uh, I guess, curriculum or programs throughout the country. So his family's making money off the deal. Then he's then you get the spectacle of him uh, using his official position to intimidate critics of of these programs. It's it's a. it's so audacious. It's a hutzpa, isn't yeah. it?
1: <laughs> so, uh, why don't why don't we have a campaign to, to ban the FBI? So it's obvious with someone like this in charge this is uh, uh, it puts the Cheka uh, to shame. Mm-hmm. The, the secret the extraordinary committee to combat terrorism and counter revolution which was created in the Soviet Union 1 month after the October Revolution. 1 month later to, in order to spread terror throughout the population in the name of combating terrorism, mm-hmm. and what what does that have in common with Murat Garland? Well, uh, Chek, the Chekhov was a predominantly Jewish operation, because uh, the 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 the, uh, the people in charge uh, realized that Russians wouldn't torture and murder other Russians, so they had to have Jews, and uh, there were a lot of Latvians involved too. You had to have a foreign element here, and the Jews always consider themselves a foreign element that were just in Russia because of some uh, political quirk uh, after having uh, been for generations in Poland at the time. So you have the same type of operation here. You have the same type of operation uh, in Germany uh, with the Stasi, the secret police, uh, the Uh, And the only reason we know about that to, to some extent is because That regime fell and we were granted access to the archives so who was who was in charge of the stasi well it was marcus wolf who happens to be a jew as well and when marcus wolf suddenly found himself unemployed don't no problem no problem we have a a a gig for you here michael chertoff invited him over to the united states and he became a consultant for homeland security -hmm. So it's one it's one instance after another where this tiny minority always gravitates to these uh, situations where they can control the operation and demonize anybody that disagrees with them uh, because uh, they have Jewish privilege and they can and they can use all of the worst cuss words uh, in the book, namely anti semite, and then they can invent whatever they want to white supremacists. Uh, domestic terrorist, deplorable—all of these labels, all of these categories of the mind that get imposed on people as a way of demonizing them, so that then you can say they deserve whatever they get. This is exactly what happened to the Germans uh, after World War II. Mm-hmm. They were demonized, and this mythology, this, this, this—is uh, this, uh, what should I say? This, this literary. Tradition uh, that I've already mentioned, with things like films like Schindler's List and so on. The narrative, like if you will, the narrative, the yeah. narrative began, and it began by convincing the Germans that they were bad people, and it, it succeeded to a large extent that the Germans do uh, they go along with this uh, guilt trip uh, for some reason or other. I, I have my own uh, reason. I have my I lived there uh, at, in the nineteen seventies. And I think what happened here uh, during that period of time is that the the press was always controlled in Germany after World War II. There was nothing that didn't have to get a license. And at that point, uh, some point in the 50s, early 60s, they started promoting sexual liberation. Uh, The Kinsey Report became a household word. The the word report became a German word, Mm -hmm. actually. Uh, and at that point, you corrupted the morals of the German people. I was teaching at a gymnasium at that point, and the, one of the prime targets was the schoolgirls to corrupt the morals of the schoolgirls, and they were supposed to read uh, magazines like Bravo. Bravo was a teen fan magazine with the <laughs> yeah. latest, the latest yeah. heart heartthrob on the cover. But you opened it, and there was Doctor Zomer. Who was advising the girls on how to masturbate or th- things like that yeah that was always part of what he was doing well it turns out his name was goldstein it wasn't summer and he was engaging in the corruption of the sex the se- corruption of the sexual morality of of these people well that causes guilt and so what happens is you create the guilt and then you mobilize the guilt so basically it's okay I understand that you feel guilty. You keep doing what you're doing. That's really making you feel guilty, but we'll channel and say what you really feel is guilt because of the Holocaust. That's what happened at this period of time. And a whole generation fell for it hook, line and sinker. Because as I said, the, the, the guilt came along with a permission slip. And it happens, happened here too. I mean, all of these women who, Protest uh, about abortion. Uh, I suspect a large number of them have had abortions, and once you've had something that done that something that terrible, you're going to be plagued, and your conscience. uh, You have two choices: you can go to confession, uh, and Jesus Christ through the priest will forgive your sins, or you can so that watching down the street with three million people, you don't feel alone, and your conscience doesn't bother you as much. the same story over and over and over again the the jews were behind abortion in this country there's another chapter in the jewish revolutionary spirit that covers that Mm -hmm. they are behind sexual liberation both here and in germany and they manipulate the guilt in the same way in both places
0: yeah and um it's uh yeah once you it's it's almost as the guilt is multi-generational or transgenerational and so is the victimhood status of of the jews so the two go hand in hand like why would a, a someone eighteen years old feel guilty in 1970 about World War II? They weren't even around yet, but it, they, they're trained to feel guilty about something that their fathers or their grandfathers supposedly did. The narrative is somewhat problematic, and it's you know. But I don't want to get, go down that rabbit hole right now. But um, it, in the article, you talk about Jewish nihilism and how this was a product of exposure to the German Enlightenment to, to the shtetl Jews and this produced denialism, but then eventually manifest this revolutionary urge that's always there, or is there, and this manifests also in violence. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, well, if there's no, uh, if there's no uh, uh, what should I say? If there's nothing, uh, what, what, if there's nothing, then uh, what is there? Well, there's obviously not nothing. Wait a minute. I, there's, if there's, what do you mean by nothing? you mean there's no order to the universe uh is that what you're saying you mean there's no moral order to the universe there's no hierarchy that the the czar really has nothing holding him up there but some type of tradition i think that's what you mean uh then your will becomes supreme and then you have you impose the order on nothing because there's nothing there to hinder you i think that's the way it works uh, uh, but the, the, the guy who did uh, the believer was had real strong sense of that because he, he kept mm-hmm. the, the guy, the Jew, uh, the Jewish Nazi in that keeps saying there's nothing. And he learned that there's nothing by going to the synagogue. And this brings up uh, metaphysical issues here uh, because and the man who's really uh, the key figure in this is Jacques Derrida, the uh, French deconstructor. Who comes from a long line of algerian rabbis uh and who would who was fascinated by nothing oh wait a minute <laughs> it's getting it gets complicated here because it becomes pretty clear that nothing is something to these people there's <laughs> something lot. there's something to nothing right a lot of books about nothing right <laughs> <laughs> much much to do about nothing here yeah which is pretty much Jacques Derrida in a nutshell. What does he mean by nothing? By He means the absence of presence. And he always, he, 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 what does he mean by presence? He means the real presence. He talks about the real presence because he's obviously talking about Catholicism mm-hmm. and he's talking about the disappearance of the real presence in Judaism. The real presence was called the Shekinah, which was like the God's, God's spirit in the temple. Well, that disappeared uh, when the temple was destroyed. Actually, it disappeared when Jesus Christ died because this, the veil, which symbolized the Shekinah, was rent in half, and that shows the departure of the Shekinah from, from the chosen people and uh, its new presence uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, and Jesus Christ's presence, at the real presence in the Eucharist, which is then in uh, the tabernacle of the church, so the jews have nothing at this point but they're going to make a big deal about nothing and that's precisely what uh the hero of the believer learned by going to a synagogue it evaporated it evaporated and you can't nature abhors a vacuum and so therefore what do you put in its place you put some type of revolutionary violence in its place because there's that's all there is there's nothing left but your will and you collectivize that will, you join it with the working class, whatever you want to call it, and then you'll be able to change the world and, and you'll be able to make something out of nothing, which I think is what Bolshevism was, it's making it's, something yeah. out of nothing. Olan. So this
0: is their yeah, uh, repair of the world. Um, the um, yeah I, I, In that movie, I think it ends with him ascending some stairs and where and he sees his teeth he's just, he, just is after he, he blows himself up and he this, this is his afterlife and he's going he's continually walking upstairs it's it's a, what, what's the phrase it's a it's uh nothingness forever or something that's the yeah in that in the movie yeah yeah uh, nihilism
1: there's it's similar yeah. it's similar to the uh Cohen brothers movie a serious man yeah uh where they 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 don't they they they're constantly the, the poor schlemiel uh who's always he's like the job the modern day job the professor everything bad happens to him and he goes to the rabbis and they've got uh they got nothing to say and then there's the final the ultimate rabbi who was the epitome of wisdom rabbinic wisdom talmudic wisdom and he finally gets to him and he starts singing a jefferson airplane song Yeah. yeah
0: somebody to and love that's I that. Uh, don't you find, you find somebody to love
1: some, yeah don't you need somebody, somebody to, to love to, yeah so so there's nothing there and i think this is this is the uh the specter if you want to use that word again that haunts uh the jewish people the specter that there's maybe there's nothing here maybe maybe we missed the boat maybe the time of our visitation came and we didn't see it Uh, that's too terrible to contemplate and so we have to get together and we have to take over the world and they're they're succeeding they're succeeding so so, yes basically it's
0: born out of their rejection of jesus christ which as you write it's a rejection of logos and and uh because of that uh you know jesus uh, uh the incarnation made i guess their status as a chosen people obsolete if you will and there was a new covenant and they don't want to give that up. They don't want to give up that status, but they've lost the temple. There's nothingness. So what do you got? You have revolution, um, which, you know, of course, there's a lot of time here, but, um, you know, as I guess as Europe developed and they, they uh, established their place in Europe, they became sort of this, uh, I guess, a, um, a, a seed of revolution as, as the time arrived. I was just reading today about christopher columbus were of course around columbus time and it was i guess there was uh, uh some of the uh, the critical tracks against christopher columbus were written by conversos <laughs> so it's uh, and then published by publishers in the netherlands of course the jewish publishers in the netherlands were expelled by the spanish crown in, in in 1492 and the early you know uh, 16th century the whole the converso crisis and so you see the black legend itself uh has uh uh Again, a Jewish source to it. Yes. Uh, how far these things go back? It's it's interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, this to, the source of Jewish um revolutionary and violence is this nihilism. Of course, this is the shtetl, this is the pale of the settlement, and they cause a lot of trouble in Russia in the eighteenth, nineteenth century. They in disaster. the nineteenth
1: century. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But this then, all- but
0: then a lot of them go to the United States, which has a uh, which then blows back to Russia because a lot of these wealthy Jews in the United States became financiers, and they funded the revolution in
1: 1917. Right. Jacob Schiff being the yeah. most prominent example. But they also took over the press. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, as a result, you had the propaganda about the uh, pogroms, all being broadcast in in the American press because it was owned by Jews. So the Kishinev pogrom uh, is something that Solzhenitsyn talks about in his book, 200 Years Together, which is history of the Jews uh, in Russia and the Soviet Union. And uh, he, he talks in there about how the uh, Roosevelt called in the Russian ambassador and said that, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, I'm talking about now, uh, after the Kishinev program, programs and said, you can't impede the, the, uh, the ability of American salesmen to travel around Russia and sell their wares. Well, what he forgot to say was that these American businessmen uh, were Russian Jews who come, came over to the United States. They buy Colt revolvers, they take them back to the shtetl, and they start supplying the Jews there with, with uh, guns. And the, the Jews then go out and uh, set up a port picture of the czar, and they use it as target practice, outraging the, the Russians there. And this is all reported. So this is the Kishinev pogrom. that led to the Kishinev pogrom, which is, was reported here. But uh, he, he said that the, the, the Jews who were killed uh, were killed by being beaten and the Russians who were killed were all shot. So they were there. The, the Jews had guns and the Russians didn't. Uh, this is the story that this simply is not getting told about how the media were being manipulated at that, even at, at that time, leading up to even before World War One. Uh, poisoning the American mind against Russians which is pretty much what they've been doing here lately as well. (laughs) So some things never change. And so what you saw, what you see here is this ancestral Jewish animus against Russia, which manifests itself in the neoconservatives. That whole story of the rise of neoconservatism, part of the anti-communist crusade, the whole getting the Jews out of the Soviet Union, that whole Scoop Jackson story, the people that work for him becoming part of the neoconservative movement, uh, continuing to this day. Now they're, they're in remission because I think they're, in spite of their chutzpah, there's a sort of odium which has now attached itself to the neoconservatives, uh, especially uh, after the debacle in Iraq and the recent or even more recent debacle in Afghanistan. Uh, and uh, so they're not thumping their chests anymore. They're, they're, uh, they're kind of in remission right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in, in the article you talk, um, or you write about, rather, the, um, the this, uh, 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 Georg Ratzinger, the great uncle of, uh, of Benedict Sixteenth, and his take on this. You also discuss things like, um, or uh, figures like uh, Professor uh, 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 MacDonald Right and his writings right. and he 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 uh, he, he writes sort of it takes a, a sociological or a, sorry a sociobiological view a Darwinian approach to these things. Yes. and you have an interest because he has actually although he criticizes Jewish power he has sort of a, 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 a an admiration for it which which you write is some of a contradiction. So could you sort of explain? Maybe uh, the diff- the difference between Georg Ratzinger's approach and maybe Professor McDonald's, yeah. although there are several decades of different, that they're both yeah. offer something to 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 the question.
1: Yeah, Georg Ratzinger was uh, Pope Benedict's great uncle, uh, and a Catholic priest uh, who retained his Catholic faith and saw the Catholic faith as the solution to the Jewish problem. At that point in history, you could be a Catholic and, in good standing and say there was a Jewish problem. OK, that things have changed since then, which is something we should talk about as well. Uh, Kevin McDonald, on the other hand, used to be a Catholic and uh, lost his fa- lost the faith when he went to the University of Wisconsin uh, during the 60s, which is a time of revolutionary firmness. The Jews had taken over the University of Wisconsin to a large extent. Uh, and uh, there was a, uh, the ROTC building got blown up and there were uh, all sorts of uh, problems associated but but the also you had the sexual revolution there so ron radosh ended up he was a, a a jew wrote a memoir called commies he was a jew from new york city who was a member of the communist party and he was told by the communist party to go to the university of wisconsin and subvert what was going on there take control of it engage in revolutionary activity there the solons of wisconsin woke up one day after the the uh, Razi building got blown up and they realized, hey, we have a Jewish problem here in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, but you can't say that. Polite people don't say that. Uh, and so what they did was they simply uh, raised tuition for out-of-state people, all out-of-state people. Uh, they should have just banned Jews from going to the University of Wisconsin because they tried to overthrow the government there. But nobody could do that. Uh, after World War II, nobody can do that anymore. What did Joe McCarthy and Joseph Stalin have in common? Not much, but they did have one thing in common they could not say the word Jew. Even Stalin didn't want to say the word Jew. So he used circumlocutions like uh, rootless cosmopolitans. And of, <laughs> yes. co- and of course, <laughs> Uh, or the doctor's plot, that was yeah. another way of talking about Jews, even though he had purged the Jews like Zinoviev and Rodick and those people during the show trials of the 1930s. Well, Joe McCarthy had the same problem and not only that, he gets a guy, uh, Roy Cohn, as yeah. his assistant. Well, bad move, Joe, uh, but he couldn't say it. And so as a result, uh, this thing kept festering. Now, to get back to Georg Ratzinger, uh, his, uh, most famous descendant was Joseph Ratzinger. Joseph Ratzinger was born in 1928. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. 1927. He was a very old man approaching hundred years old now. Uh, and so that means he's 20 years old in 1947. What happened over the summer of, uh, I'm sorry, the winter of 1946, 47. This is the Germans were defeated. Their, Germany is prostrate now, completely destroyed by Allied bombing. And as if that's not uh, bad enough, we have the plan to deal with them. It's called the Morgenthau plan. And it's uh, named after the Secretary of Treasury, Morgenthau, Henry Morgenthau, uh, who has some mysterious power over Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who is now dying. And so the Morgenthau plan is uh, uh, basically they're going to starve the Germans to death. Again, we're back to this, this thing. It's OK. It's OK, because Jews are doing it to Germans. When Germans do it to Jews, that's a war crime. But when Jews do it to Germans, well, it's understandable. And, and, and you have a Hollywood movie justifying it. As far as I know, there's no Hollywood movie about uh, the Morgenthau plan. But there is a series, a Netflix series called The Defeated, just came out. And I'm saying there's an indication of the shift that's going on in the German mind at this point is that this is about 46. This is about 1946. It's not about 45. It's not, this is in the post-war period. And what's going on here? Well, the Germans are starving to death. Cardinal Frings, who was the cardinal, uh, uh, basically the primate of Germany at this point, then tells the german people that uh, over the winter of 46 47 which is now officially known as das hungerjahr the hunger year uh in germany uh tells the german people that uh, they have a, they have a right if you if you have no food uh and there's a warehouse near you the americans have
0: okay there we go we're back sorry about that okay so,
1: so it's 47, the German people are being starved to death by the uh, the Jew, uh, Morgenthau, Secretary-Treasurer Morgenthau. Joseph Ratzinger is 20 years old. Now, do you, do you know if you're hungry when you're 20 years old? You, you know, if you're two weeks old, you know if you're hungry. Uh, so he knows he's hungry. He knows the entire German people is being starved to death. He knows who's doing it because everybody knew about the Morgenthau plan in Germany. Uh, He knows that Cardinal Frings has stood up against this man. He knows at the same time that his uncle, his great uncle who wrote Jewish business practices had an explanation of what's going on. So what, what do you do in a situation like this? Uh, After this point, ratzinger and the entire post-war generation is subject to a ruthless form of social engineering which basically blames them for their own misery you deserve it okay and so at this point you've got two you've got two separate explanations i'm talking about uh, uh pope benedict the 16th he's got these two explanations how do you reconcile these two explanations how do you do that how do you reconcile what, you know, because you're hungry, what, you know, because of your family, what, you know, because of your faith? And uh, how do you reconcile that with what, you know, because the Americans control the media and the Jews control the license uh, to get to the media? So what do you do? What do you do? Well, in that situation. Uh, yeah. I mean, probably- tell, you tell me what to, give me. Give me what you think. How do you resolve this contradiction?
0: Intellectually, there's no, there's no way to resolve it.
1: Well, one is, one is true and the mm-hmm. other is false, mm-hmm. right? The one is, you know, uh, is true because of all the things I've mentioned. The other thing, you know, is false. Now, uh, I, I think that uh, Ratzinger basically internalized the commands of his oppressors. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he did. And I think that's what Vatican II was, certainly for the Germans. It was a way of kind of sanitizing themselves, of, of, of escaping from this burden of guilt. Now, Ratzinger uses words like Auschwitz. Uh, he also came up with a, when he became Pope, he came up with this novel approach to uh, the Jewish question. Doesn't talk about the Jewish question, but he talks about there's no missio, for the jewish people he starts off by saying there jesus christ says there's a universal commission the great commission go out and baptize all nations uh uh in the name of the uh, in the name of jesus christ to bring jesus christ to them evangelize evangelization with one exception he says and that's the jews but well, wait a minute where did that exception come from where do, where which where does that where is that in scripture Uh, you have the opposite uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we we know that Benedict went to Jerusalem and gave a speech, okay? There's a precedent here because Peter went to Jerusalem. And we know what Peter said because it's the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. He went to Jerusalem and he said to the Jews, you killed Christ. It then says, the Jews were cut to the heart and then they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And he said, you have to be baptized. <clears throat> that's it. That's the only mandate that Pete, that a pope has, because a pope is the successor of Peter. That's the only mandate. And so that's what Ratzinger should have said when he went to Jerusalem. But he did not say that. He talked about Catholic Jewish dialogue. And then he gave up to with this explanation saying, there's no missio to the jews in other words we don't have this program to convert the jews uh we have dialogue instead well wait a minute first of all you you can these are categories of the mind you just made up okay the category of reality is uh peter you killed you killed christ that's what he said that's that was also dialogue even according to Ratzinger's terms that should have been what, what happened here. What, what is the dialogue? Peter spoke to the Jews. The Jews responded, and he told them what they needed to do. That's dialogue. It's not as if he's descended from heaven and said, you're going to do this. He never not any power to do anything. The Jews were in control in Jerusalem, not the, this group of people, the apostles. No. So he was engaging in dialogue. But the, 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 the again, this Catholic-Jewish dialogue that took place, was not that. It was a category of the mind uh, that, in many ways, was to create, to thwart dialogue, if by dialogue you mean a a serious exchange of point of view leading to some type of successful conclusion. The culmination of what Ratzinger called Catholic-Jewish dialogue came very recently when uh, Pope Francis preached on the, the epistle to the Galatians, Paul's epistle to the Galatians, and the rabbi said, no, you can't do that. That's the culmination of Catholic Jewish dialogue, not not, uh, you know, sitting down with the Jews and say, look, uh, you're in charge of this pornography industry. We want you to do something or, or we're going to do something. No, it's nothing like that. It never came to anything like that. It was always the Jews badgering. The church to make concessions and uh, 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 with the ultimate goal of prohibiting the church from preaching the gospel. Because yeah, it's it's, Jews. it's
0: it's Jews telling the church who can be canonized, who they can canonize right. or right. who can who can be let back into the church or what a gospel how the gospel should be written or how it should be re- rewritten or whether you can have a passion play or not.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's all been one-sided. There's been no dialogue because basically the church has abandoned any attempt to convert the Jews. I, I, I mean, he, Ratzinger said dialogue was going to convert the Jews, or that's actually the path. Well, he didn't engage in dialogue. Nobody did. Nobody did. It was all just sort of one-sided and making concession after concession to the point where Cardinal Keeler of Baltimore basically came up with dual covenant theology and said, oh, the Jews are uh, uh, can be saved by following their covenant. No, they can't. <laughs> their obsolete covenant can't do that. So this all is traceable back, I think, to to, to Ratzinger, I mean in in a, in a very serious way. What what could he what should he have done? What should he have done? And this would be a a a kind of what should I say a dramatic a kind of thought experiment here. But but it goes back to a, a question. He talks about the guilt that the Germans felt because of Auschwitz. Do you do you feel guilt uh, because of the firebombing of Dresden? uh yeah it's a good yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) do you do you feel guilt because of the uh obvious war crime of dropping atomic bombs on hiroshima and nagasaki why why should the germans why should are you telling me that somehow that why, why is this different why is it suddenly that only these people should feel guilt in my this is the, my continuation of this thought experiment. I think that the first thing that Ratzinger should have done as the first German pope, in recent memory at least, deal with that issue. Deal with it. German guilt. Deal with it. In some well, type of sophisticated theological understanding. Because, because we are all suffering right now. You and me, we are all suffering because of this Jewish tyranny, which is not a category. It's not a category in anyone's in anyone's discussion. Well, okay? I mean, I mean, bowing
0: to 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 the to the Holocaust narrative, and that dominates the Second World War. Uh, uh, it, it has neutered the Church because the Church now, I guess, one of the motivations for Nostra Aetate, uh, uh would have been. Uh, I think the background of that is. War guilt, uh, the Holocaust, and that's basically the found much of the foundation of Jewish cultural or political power, or moral authority, whatever you know, it claims to have today. Being able to preach, you know, point the finger, at people, and preach people who play the victim, is 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 that narrative? And if you don't approach that and and uh, uh, or, uh, or engage in that, uh, uh, then you're not going to be able to. Um, one of the reasons why the church isn't seeking to convert Jews. And, 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 and I guess live up to her mission is that is that, is that, is that issue. Um, and, and of course a, a German Pope who feeling all that, all that guilt isn't gonna be able to do that. But however, his uncle, his great uncle rather took a very different approach to it. <laughs> and he talked about, and you write in the article how he talked about what the Jews are doing to the economy uh, in Europe, particularly Germany. Uh, but he talked about the superiority of Catholic economics over Jewish economics approach to the marketplace, sharp Jewish business practices, and sort of the cultural reasons why Jews were able to sort of subvert and take over these things because of their internalized or their established they're, they, 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 the way they engaged in trade was was, was unethical and they're able to take advantage of a naive uh, you know Christian population and of course with the um, I guess seven years before. Uh, 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 Georg Ratzinger you had uh, Napoleonic Wars and Jewish Emancipation and in that time they were able to take over and subvert you know, the economies of Europe and he was dealing with that issue directly and it's one thing that's been denied to Catholics and people in general is um, I guess priests or, or people who can deal with dialogue with Jews directly point the finger at them and preach them we don't have right. a Ratzinger we don't have a Father Finney anymore who could talk directly about these issues and because of, of, of the uh, institutionalized guilt that only applies to the german people but but entire western
1: civilization now right we're suffering yeah so the the question is as as pope you're the german pope you've lived through this whole thing you know what happened okay and so the question the faithful you talk you're talking about guilt you're talking about auschwitz i I didn't have anything to do with that okay I, i i was born three years after all that happened I was born uh, w- uh, in forty eight when the whole plan shifted. So the so but but I'm I'm afflicted because the whole world is afflicted with this thing, this 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 guilt that uh, we all seem to have inherited and we don't know why. So the question would be uh, we'd have to press the pope. Now we have a German pope. OK, the question is, is, is it a sin to criticize Jews? If you're if you're living in Germany, it's it's illegal to criticize Jews. That's Mm. obvious now. But we need some moral clarification. That's your expertise. You're infallible when it comes to faith and morals. Would you please clarify this issue? It's tearing us apart. Well, it's gotten so bad
0: now. They just arrested a 96 year old woman uh, because she was a file clerk an right. alleged death camp or concentration camp and they have no
1: real evidence against her but they're going to throw her in prison for the rest of her life
0: they're going to try oh, to do
1: that. this yeah. is horrendous now they now there's a hundred year old guy there this mm. is getting close to what what the uh the communists did in spain you dig up the corpses of nuns and you desecrate the corpse we're we're almost to that point here okay now nobody nobody was tried for uh war crimes uh on the american side are you do you mean to tell me there were no work the whole strategy american strategy was based on war crime a war crime because it was based on the systematic targeting of civilian population by aerial bombardment that's a war crime here's a
0: lindemann report lindemann report that the british and then the americans adopted when they entered the war it was anglo-american strategy terror bombing (laughs)
1: <laughs> they terror, bombing.
0: terror bombing, terrorized
1: yeah. the population. began mm. within days. The British uh, inaugurated it because that was always the strategy with the British Empire, beginning with the the invention of the airplane. They terrorized local populations by flying over and destroying villages, and spread terror throughout the whole population by doing that. So, uh, are we going to are we going to have a, a, a real serious analysis of guilt? accruing from actions in World War II? Well, the German Pope should have done that. That would have been the ideal situation, except that if he had done it, uh, he could have ended up in jail. But that would have been really interesting, too. Uh, Are the Germans going to put a German Pope in jail Uh, because he's talking about uh, what happened in World War II in a way that is not uh, accessible? Now, I have a friend who's a a history teacher in Berlin, and he has to teach a lesson on the Morgenthau plan. He also has to teach a lesson on the Hungerjahr, and he also has to teach a lesson on the Berlin Airlift, which was the reversal of all those policies. Mm -hmm. So obviously, these are categories of uh, the state-sanctioned official categories of German history. Can we talk about this uh, in some type of dispassionate, moral way? Can the, can the leader of the Catholic Church wade into something this? Now that we have a German, can he deal with what happened in Germany? Well, he didn't. I mean, nothing happened. We had, and instead of doing that, we had Catholic-Jewish dialogue, uh, which went nowhere, uh, and is still going nowhere. So I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, I said this in the article. I just did in this September issue about the Latin Mass, I'm saying somorum pontificorum was a passive-aggressive behavior on Ratzinger's part, by which I mean he, he, instead of reforming the liturgy for everyone, he made this Latin Mass indult available for certain people. But it, it was a covert way of bringing the Jewish question back into play again after all of these years now the, the catholic jewish dialogue commission the official commission in germany said that to him they months before it's in the article but uh, they wrote him a letter saying if you go ahead with this we know your intention you're trying to bring back the jewish question with all those jewish prayers you know about the conversion <laughs> of the jews and so on and so forth i think i think they're right i think they were right i think they 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 knew what was going on that the whole latin mass thing was really a stalking horse for something that he couldn't address. This is what I'm saying with passive aggressive behavior. It's like the classic defeated nation behavior. So I can't address it explicitly. Let's reform the liturgy if you wanna do that. Let's talk about morality here. Let's talk about history. No, we can't do that. So we'll do it in a passive aggressive way by bringing back the Latin mass. And the Latin mass then becomes weaponized and a stalking horse for things that we can't really talk about.
0: Your, your treatment of, of Kevin McDonald, he, you talk about the three Kevin McDonald's, <laughs> and it goes at what you claim is sort of a um, inner contradiction of his approach, uh, about this Darwinian approach. At the same time, he, he sort of he's critical and condemns Jewish behavior. but based on his sociobiological Darwinian approach, it's justifiable outside any moral consideration. That's one thing that distinguishes his critique, say, from from Georg Ratzinger, who saw, you know, Catholicism as being morally superior to Judaism, and the the solution to the Jewish question is conversion, and and the
1: propagation of the Catholic faith, and it's also it's it's, it's and, uh, and and enforcing the laws on the books. Yeah, the enforcing usury, for example.
0: Yeah, um, and, and one of the things that 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 harm Russians. Civilization, Christianity, in particular, was the removal of these restrictions. Given the um, the behavior and actions of the Jews, now the distinction, as a Ratzinger would point out, the behavior and actions of Jews and not their or DNA. Whereas later criticism of Judaism, you know, the anti-Semitism developed in the late nineteenth century would have been uh, more racial, and that of course, right. that had, that had a profound effect in the twentieth century. And Kevin McDonald's approach, because uh, he's again. Darwinian, it's materialist. Uh, although his research on Jewish behavior and activism is superb, uh, I guess his approach sociobiological is insufficient because it reduces everything down to DNA. And so the sort of this behavioral or a, um, sorry, a, sort of a, um, basically it's uh, you, you, people that they're, they're doing it because of their DNA.
1: You know, and, yeah, which means that they're they're robots, yeah. automatized. Yeah, which means they have no free will. Well, mm-hmm. why are we talking about that? <laughs> it's like saying, uh, are we talking about morality in salmon? Is there something we need to mm-hmm. do to change them? No, they don't have morality. They they act according to stimuli. Well, he's saying the same thing is true of uh, human beings, which is makes all of this critique uh, unnecessary or or pointless. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, so the difference is that uh, Georg Ratzinger would say, uh, oh, yeah, they got they got to where they are because they cheated. Kevin, I think, thinks that uh, they have superior intelligence. They won out in the battle, the socio, the battle, the survival of the fittest. They came out on top. Well, that's the end of the story. If you're a sociobiologist, what else are you going to do? And, And then you get this note of admiration that these white boys, they really would like to be Jews. You know, if we could only have a a Zionist white boy culture, you know, Uh, and and that gets us right back to the whole, you know, Jewish Nazi thing, you know, Mm -hmm. two sides of the same coin. So basically you got Kevin's critique. There's the Catholic boy who, you know, had some training in morals, you know what I mean, throwing overboard with the sexual revolution. But, you know, the repressed comes back and he's he's annoyed at the Jews. There's this moral indignation at what the jews are doing to our culture but then he can't back that up with his sociobiology because we should just have unbridled admiration for the jews because they're superior to us and they're proof they're superiors because they took over our culture so what's that's the end of the story Yes, yeah, what so do? What, what's there to criticize if it's sort of a natural process right what's there to yeah. criticize so he's kind con- de- of a deeply conflicted guy I wish he would just go to confession and come back to the Catholic faith. But, you know, that's that's the mysteries of God's grace interacting with the soul. You know, we can always hope that will happen.
0: Well, then it comes back to a choice. So when I sent you the email, it's um, either Hitler
1: or Christ, right? Yes, that's one and, way of putting
0: it. Yeah, I know it's blunt. It's maybe <laughs> overly simplistic, but uh, you're right. Uh, people, um, the if you, one thing I, I do detect and, you know, you, you've said it that, you know, it's uh, Protestants who don't, don't go to church anymore. And it, it that's what a white be, boy is. Yeah. Um, and of course, they they they, uh, they create this white identity because of all the agitation against white people and, and these sort of things. So uh, it's kind of the thing where every other ethnic group has their identity and they're, they're constantly talking about it. But if you're white, you can't talk about it. So you're kind of put in this category. Then you're trapped. Um, it's a difficult situation politically, and also given the fact that, you know, I guess, the powers that be uh, appear to be creating these categories for one reason or another.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, but um, well, they create them. They create categories to demonize you, mm-hmm. and then uh, there are so unfortunate. There are people who don't understand this, and they adopt the category that their oppressors want them to adopt. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that is uh, pretty much a white boy at this point, you know, and then they if you try to explain to them, which I did in that debate with Jared Taylor, you know, well, wait a minute. This is not really your identity. They get uppity and they get upset and they accuse me of being a race denier or some some weird uh, crime like that. Uh, No, that's not that's not it. That's not it. This is this is a demonization process. And if you want to adopt uh, the demon as the labels of your oppressors, well, go ahead, but don't expect to win anytime soon if you do that. I have said this before, but that's exactly what happened. uh, The opposite happened in St. Louis when I said, no, the people that are trying to preserve the statue, they're not white supremacists, they're Catholics. As soon as I made that uh, claim stick, they won. And the the statue is still standing in St. Louis. It was identity theft. Umar Lee was engaging in identity theft, and that's a classic, that's exactly what happened to the German people. It was identity theft. They've had their identity stolen. The Jews stole their identity. They gave them a false identity. And like the, you know, like the white boy who turns around at the biker rally when someone yells, hey, asshole, (laughs) they have, they have internalized the commands of their oppressors. And this is a catastrophe for everyone. It's not just for the Germans, but it's for everyone. That's the problem that's the problem. If you don't work for the conversion of the Jews, you end up condemning, if you say they don't need to be baptized, if you don't bring that up, you condemn the Jews to hell in the next life, because baptism is necessary for salvation. But the other side is, you condemn the rest of us to hell in this life, because you're ensuring Jewish hegemony over the culture. And we're all suffering from that now. Both here and in Europe. Yeah, and it's interesting
0: how you point out in the article. You know, we talked about earlier in the interview. Talked about Jewish terrorism, acts of violence, and you opened the article talking about that. And I think it was Jared Lofner who uh, shot Gabby Giffords if you, and yeah. murdered a few other people, a little girl, if I recall. Um, and um, he was at first identified as a right winger extremist, and then it turns out that he was Jewish. And oh, this... wait
1: a minute, that that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Let's go back to right winger then.
0: And, and didn't he go to the same synagogue?
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, as Gavin or, or, Giffords. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so they, Darth, Dorothy Rabinowitz talks about this uh, Muslim who shot people on a military base, mm-hmm. uh, and talks about uh, identity politics. Well, they created identity politics. You know, uh, yeah. it's only it just never gets reported. Baruch Goldstein murdered uh, a mass murderer, but we don't talk about it because he's a Jew, and Jews are always victims. Yeah, he killed twenty-nine people, and that's right. not and that's not right. on people's conscience. Based, it was a hate crime, and and it was based on he was a follower of Meyer Kahan, the Jewish Defense League. But we don't talk about that. Polite people don't talk about this kind of stuff.
0: No, uh, yeah, and the um, I like to, with with uh, it's funny you re- mentioned an article uh, where um, Abe Foxman immediately, uh, I guess, upon being uh, I guess confronted with or dealing with the fact that that Jerry Laughlin was Jewish, it says, "Well, he was a conspiracy theorist, anti-government
1: guy." <laughs> so, we, yeah, we need a label. We have to get a label out there as soon as possible, because the one thing we can't talk about is his actual identity.
0: Yeah, so if he had been Christian, the first thing would have been that this guy's a Christian, you know, uh, or that he's white, yeah, but then he's Jewish. It, it became these other things, apply another, another label to it. And again, yeah. you, and in the article, you discuss things like um, where Jothi Rabinus was complaining about, I guess this was that Major Hassan shot up the army base and of course, there was uh, in the article. You discuss uh, Jewish role in, in in immigration and changing the immigration laws in this country that would create the, the diversity that they celebrate. Uh, and you write, uh, "Well, the reason why they do this, and you cite people like M- M- Professor McDonald and other people, even Jews, how Jews promote diversity key because they 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 flourish in it because they don't want to have an homogenous or, or cohesive ethnic I guess majority." Uh, to deal with so they deal they, they, they like a pro or pluralistic society where there's no I guess coordination or or a, a sense of community and they create the it's sort of a, a babel that they can then operate in and they openly talk about that and that, that explains the decades-long uh Jewish activism in reforming American American United yeah. States immigration laws yeah yeah
1: it's, it's still working they uh the ADL came out and demanded that uh tucker carlson be fired because he talked about replacement theory Mm. well the whole jewish immigration strategy has been nothing but replacement theory beginning with the change in the immigration laws in 1965 which was a totally jewish creation it was jacob javits and emmanuel sellers who didn't want any more europeans contributing to a kind of european culture america having european culture so you just bring a lot of people from a lot of different places and it's like what's it like now it's like going to uh, uh, Walmart in Virginia uh, where who's working at Walmart. They can't even talk to each other, mm-hmm. you know, try and talk to them. There's always this language barrier or it's like the policy, the diversity policy at uh, Amazon, the memo got linked. Why are they interested in diversity? at Amazon, why is it that you have a lunchroom where there, there are 112 different languages being spoken here? Because they can't unionize. Yes. <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah, yeah
0: yes. And, and to this now, we have just today, Mayorkas, our, our head of the Department of Homeland Security, admit uh, said that he wasn't going to um, uh, what screen newcomers in the country, or wasn't going to intervene, have his to intervene uh, to to prevent uh, illegal immigration, something to that effect, and
1: yeah. and so- and, then, and and then you have someone like Barbara Lerner Spector in that famous video where she's saying, "Yeah, we we Jews are flooding Europe with immigrants to destroy their culture, but they need our help because this is really Tikkun Olam, and we have a cru- Jews have a crucial role to play in turning Europe into a multicultural society." Well, wait a minute. Who gave you permission to wreck these people's culture? Oh, 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 you got it. You you appointed yourself because you believe in tikkun olam. And tikkun olam uh, means you have a right to destroy anybody's culture or anybody's life because you have this moral superiority and Jewish privilege. By the way, someone just uh, uh, was attacking uh, uh somebody for anti-semitism and they mentioned in the whole list of blah 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 one of the things they mentioned was the canard of jewish <laughs> privilege wait a minute that's not a canard and i'm responsible for it i launched that term i i have a i had a book a, a, a amazon ebook on that they became a bestseller
0: yeah jewish privilege uh well that is um i mean that is let me see this article um what we have here – and there was an article – let me see if I can find it. Yeah, uh, this is by Alex McNabb uh, a Dissident Magazine. He calls this performative contradiction. And it says, the ADL and other Jewish advocacy groups love the cluster of pearls over the so-called canard of Jewish influence on American politics. They decry millennia-old stereotypes of Jews as disloyal, greedy abusers of power, but when – uh, but then, with zero trace of irony, take swift public action that totally confirms anti-Semites' initial premise. The propositional logic—this is in propositional logic. This is known as a performative contradiction. You cannot claim that it's that it's an anti-Semitic myth. The state jews have outsized political power then immediately uh summon pl- uh powerful political connections to ostracize and or silence anyone making the claim <laughs> right <laughs> so i thought, you know is it yeah uh and you see that with um uh he cites um uh vice president uh harris who actually uh, uh i guess politely received a question about someone voicing concern i think this is at george mason university uh, about the palestinians and admittedly, all the Jewish power came down on, uh, on on Vice President Harris. The the ADL, uh, Greenblatt got involved in it just, just because she she entertained the validity of the question.
1: <laughs> she didn't jump up and denounce the, yes. the person immediately and call for the police to arrest her yes. for making that, that comment.
0: But Which it's is- amazing how closely they, they observe and watch American politics. You know, they were upset because the I think there was a vote to give billions of dollars so – Israel could replenish its Iron Dome system, and the vote was like four hundred and four hundred and nine to twenty-seven, or four hundred and the twenties. I'm sorry, four twenty to nine, and they were concerned about the nine vote, nine votes. Right, right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, full spectrum dominance of the yeah. American political system. That's what um, we're talking about
0: here. So, uh, so okay. I think we're, we're up close to an hour now.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure.
0: Uh, did we cover it?
1: I think so. I the, gist, so.
0: uh, of the of the the article or the chapter rather okay yeah that chapter is in the Jewish revolutionary spirit and its impact on world history that's volume three I've been going through the the third chapter uh, well because I read the original book and so I want to get some of the newer material and it's a, actually what I find is you can open up open up any chapter you don't have to read it uh, in sequence it's all you know you can just pick up these various uh, some are you know some chapters are shorter than others so I heartily recommend it um, of course and of course um so I I guess I guess I'll let you go. Thank yeah, you. Well, thank so you. much coming on the show. Um Culture Tim, Wars magazine. Oh
1: Culture Wars magazine go to culturewars.com for the magazine or go to fidelitypress.org mm-hmm. for all of the books that we've mentioned on the show tonight.
0: Great. Thank you so much. You have a good evening then.
1: You too, Tim. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.